You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Starting to get into the swing of the season. No shopping has been started yet, so that helps. Um, but our girls, they're part of a song and dance company, so they're singing and dancing at tree lighting ceremonies all over Orange County and malls and all that stuff. You've probably seen them. Um, seems like they've done enough performances that you should have seen them by now. Um, the Los Al Branch team, we were serving at their Winter Wonderland last Saturday. Um, the food, I haven't given up my calorie counting, but I should until January. And then there's the Christmas specials. A couple weeks ago, we sat down for Carrie Underwood and the Sound of Music, and about two minutes in, Kale was like, when is this going to be over? <laughs> so... That was the nuns singing at that point. And then at about an hour, we made him go to bed, and that was when they were doing like that yodeling song. And so my Christmas miracle is that I've not heard him yodeling because he thought that was hilarious. And so thankfully, he has not been yodeling for the last couple weeks. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised I didn't hear a lot more of that. So my favorite, It's a Wonderful Life, um, black and white on VHS, um, but we haven't had time to watch it. You know, so there's no shortage. Everyone has their favorite Christmas movie. But most, if not all, because I haven't watched them all, um, end up with family together by the end. And even those without family like Grinch or Scrooge, who end up in, they end up in Whoville or, or with Tiny Tim, and they have this adopted family. Now, some of us who are a little more cynical might roll our eyes at the sentimentality of this, but it's everywhere. And it's everywhere for a reason. Because that taps into a deep need that each of us has, this need to belong. And some of you want to you pump your fist and say, yes, that is why I love Christmas, because that's the time where I can tell the family, clear the calendar, we're all together, this is what we're doing. That's what my mom, everyone comes to her house for Christmas breakfast, extended family, everyone, except me, which is one of the reasons she likes my brother better. I'm sure there are others, but um, th- I'm sorry, that's not your problem. I'll set up some time with Ron this week. Um, but, but here's the thing is you love the family time, that space to just say, this is what we're doing together, and, and it's important, and it's wonderful. But for others, there's that, those scenes of family, they hurt. And, and more than hurt, they grieve because they're a reminder that that's just not the way it is for you right now. Like maybe your family's distant. Maybe you've lost someone in recent years. Um, maybe it's just family time ends up being fights and ends up being uh, just miserable. Or um, you, you don't have to worry about family time because you just don't talk to each other. But... but Whatever it is, it's painful that those feelings elicit more pain than joy. And so I have the challenge and privilege to speak to you wherever you are on that spectrum and everywhere in between this morning. And this passage does that because wherever you are on that spectrum, from it being the best thing in the world to have the family all together to the other end where there's nothing worse than having the family together, that either way, this passage has some signs, some markers pointing us towards hope. For those of you who suffer, uh, whether it's the loss of someone or the fact that you need to be with some of your family, that this is a reminder that death and division and strife do not have the final word. But that the void you feel or that tension you feel will one day be healed. It will one day be filled and things will be made whole. For those who think it can't get any better than Christmas, how could it possibly be better? This is a sign pointing to, you know what? It actually does. 
that it actually does get better than your favorite, point, favorite time of the year. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, ushers have loner Bibles. If you didn't bring one or you forgot yours, you don't have one, raise your hand. Ushers would be glad to bring you one. Um, and just leave it on your seat when you leave. Um, and if you don't own a Bible and you would like to, if you'll read it, we'll give one to you. Go to the information center later and they'll, they'll give you a nice paperback Bible. Um, but these are for the every week wear and tear, our loners. So uh, just leave them on your seat when you're done. So as we're reimagining Christmas this year, we recognize this powerful family element of the season and the importance of belonging. That's what that highlights. And so it leads us to our question, how can reimagining Christmas, our theme for this year, how can reimagining Christmas meet my deepest need for belonging? And our text today has the answer. But before we get to the answer, we need to recognize that there's really an issue and it's an issue that all of us have. And the problem, uh, so we need to wrestle with the problem. And I love the beginning of John's gospel, and it's going to show us what the problem is. Um, but I want to read through up to where we're going today so we get a sense of the flow, and it reveals our issues in the midst of the grand story. So first, there's simply God. He's it, existing in triune community, and then he creates everything else. So verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So that's where it starts. Then, as we move forward, we don't get the, the full story here, but we know from the next few verses that there is darkness, that there's sin that has separated us from God, and Jesus came to shine his light into that darkness and, through, and proclaim that through his messenger, John the Baptist. Verses 4 to 8. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, we don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we need to recognize here that there is darkness, that there is a problem before we look at what Jesus restores, which is what our, our theme is, our, our passage is about today. And so if you read back, if you want the details, read way back in Genesis chapter 3, and that kind of tells how the story un, un, unravels, how creation unravels. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, and it resulted in a fracturing. And, and what's, it's, it's a, creation was ruptured, fractured in four different ways. First of all, they were alienated from God. They hid from him in their sin. That's the first way. Next, they were internally afflicted. They experienced guilt and shame. There is something inside of them that is just not right, and not just them, but us. Next, they were in conflict with creation. It would now be hard for Adam to provide, and it, the, the ground wouldn't bring forth the fruit as it did before. Pain would be in childbirth with Eve, and so they have a conflict with creation. And then the fourth one, they were in conflict with each other. All they could do was blame others for their sin. And it went on down the line. Now, three out of those four are profoundly relational issues, and they speak to our problems in belonging that we all face. Some of the reasons we long for relationships is that many of us feel a deep insecurity. Uh, I, I feel this, all of us feel this at times, where there's something that has us longing to be known and loved for who we are and wondering if we're good enough or if we're worthy. And so we're in this place where our souls need to be restored. And then from there, there's this conflict in our relationship, not unrelated to the personal conflict that we feel within ourselves, that we have a hard time connecting like we'd like to, or there's distance, or there's tension, or there's bitterness, or there's hatred, and so we need relationships restored. So we need our souls restored, we need our relationships restored. And then the last one, the root of this all, is that our relationship with God is broken. 
that, um, and, when, and that's the foundation. And when the foundation's broken, uh, the rest is only going to look good on a cosmetic level and only for a certain amount of time before it comes unraveled. So we need our relationship with God restored as well. That's a lot of problems. And they're big. So it needs big solutions. And the solution is Christmas. Not the lights, Santa, Hallmark specials, but a reimagined Christmas. A Christmas that's celebrating the solution. And the solution is that we need to receive Jesus as our restorer. So our, our title is Jesus, our restorer. I didn't do a great job on the outline this week, sorry. So if you're taking notes at home, it's the solution is receive Jesus, our restorer. Um, the outline's a little different than the title there. But, so we've looked at Jesus as our Emmanuel a couple weeks ago. Last week it was Jesus as the light of the world. And now we look at him as our restorer. And we're actually going to finally get to today's text, verse 9. The true light, so John was a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now, this fits the light category that Stan talked about last week, but it flows into what we're talking about. That the plight is darkness. That we are separated from God. There is brokenness in our need to belong. And Jesus is the solution to that. So John says he's not the light. Jesus is the light. He's the true light. And that's a common refrain throughout John's gospel. And so if you read ahead, and if you're not reading anything in your Bible this week, read, read the gospel of John over the next few weeks. And you'll see that Jesus is referred to as the true vine or the true bread, and among other things in the book, where he is those things that we place our hope in. Jesus is the actual fulfillment of those sometimes dead ends that we pursue. And so this is what Christmas is about. Tinsel. Hot cocoa presents, they're fine, but Christmas is less about the warm fuzzies and more about the greatest rescue mission, not, not in the world, but of the world. God created a world, and we went our own way. We said, no thanks, God, we got this. And so we were alienated from him, and he would be perfectly justified in writing us off, letting things be destroyed, destroying us. See, and, and this rupture between our relationship with God, we can't make it right. It's so deep, the distance between us, us and God, is there's nothing we can do to restore it. Nothing. I mean, we can try, but trying to cross the chasm of our distance from God's like trying to empty the ocean with an eyedropper or something like that. It's futile. Except for Christmas, our only proper response in life is despair. Without Christmas, we're simply arranging deck chairs on the Titanic to use an overused expression. And I know it's overused. I want a new expression, so if you've got one, email me. Ryan, you're a poet. I need you to work on that for me. Um, you know, so, so we, we um, something like that. Something like, you know, something that communicates despair. Like UCLA, USC, with the new coach the Huskies have, despair for you. <laughs> There's just no hope. Something that communicates that. So, so thank God for Christmas, though, because Christmas is all about hope. Look at the first part of verse 10. He was in the world. He is the word. He is Jesus. So he didn't sit from afar, this is a huge statement. He didn't sit from afar and judge and condemn, which, which would have been justified, but he became a man. He became one of us, and he embarked on a rescue mission on behalf of his creation. That's what Christmas is. It isn't, well, it is about a baby in a manger, but it is about the baby in a manger, the king being born and beginning an insurrection that would conquer the forces of evil and restore his creation to himself. This isn't about contentment. It isn't about comfort food. This should give us goosebumps. This is history altering. We have been snatched from destruction by the very one whom our sin has offended so deeply and been given life and called to a mission. So the solution to our plight has come. He's come to rescue us. He is the solution. He is Jesus, 
our restorer. Now we need to look at the response. The response, if you see it on the slide there, there's a question mark, which seems weird, but stick with me here. Because it's easy, right? We celebrate our rescue. We have been snatched away from destruction and brought to light. Well, there's a condition to this rescue, this restoration. There's a big if. Because here's how it went down. The light, the true light came down. He shone on creation. He came into creation. Every, everyone, it says in verse 9. It is an objective fact that the light came. He was there for everyone to see. I mean, right now, the lights are all on. Just, that's the case. But they were blind to it. I mean, go ahead and close your eyes. Looks dark, right? But the lights are on. Just, just very simple. That's essentially what was happening. He came and the lights, they, they, they were blind to him. So the if remains, and it's haunting. The creator, look, look at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It just didn't see him. And, and it even gets more tragic as we keep reading. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was born in Bethlehem. He was the Jewish Messiah. He was the one who would deliver his people. There were dozens of prophecies about him. I mean, here are just a few, and these are 700 years or so. The, the Old Testament passage is 700 years before Jesus came. The first one is from Isaiah 53, 9. Can you throw it up there, Paul? He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, from Isaiah 53, 9. And you see 1 Peter 2 is the... the uh, the fulfillment of that. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, Hosea 11.1, 1, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. The next one is Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 3. And then Isaiah 35, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And that's filled all throughout his, all throughout his ministry, but Matthew 11 is where it's specifically stated. All of this was pointing to him, and they missed him. Not all of them, of course, but many did. So he came to them and they refused to believe that he was the one who was sent, that he, they thought he was a pretender. And we need to be clear on what they did and didn't do because some of it looked good. Crowds gathered. He fed them. They shouted praise at the end, but in the end, they didn't receive him. So what does it mean to receive him? Receiving him means embracing what God is doing. Thinking, think about a gift. You receive a gift. If it stays wrapped, you really haven't received the gift. It means welcoming Jesus as king inviting the mystery of God in human flesh and delighting in that, receiving his gift of forgiveness and life, and then saying, counting the cost and saying, I am following you, Jesus. And so many of you have welcomed the king, and there's nothing that you want more than to see those you love, your friends, children, parents, do the same. In fact, you've strained relationships because you are so passionate about that. And on one hand, that is admirable because these are internal, eternal important matters. But on the other hand, we need to realize how God works. And there are many of you here who have not made that commitment to Jesus, and this is true of every person who's ever lived, all of us. And so, um, is that God has to do a work in each of our hearts before we roll out the carpet for the king. So every person ever born, besides Jesus and Adam and Eve, were born separated from God. Romans 3 is clear on that. I mean, you can, you can read it later. Another way this is phrased is we are spiritually dead. 
so, so all of us are born this way. Uh, when we're dead, this is not a newsflash, we're incapable of responding. No newsflash there, right? So this is, but I want to say this very clearly because this isn't just, a, we can look and say, hey, why didn't they get it? Look at those prophecies. Why didn't they get it? We don't get it either. We, 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 we miss out on what God is doing because the thing is we aren't just all born a blank slate where we can just, you know, if, we, if we're smart enough or if we're spiritual enough, we get this thing figured out. That's not how it works. We are born dead and God needs to go to work in each of our hearts and turn the lights on so that we say, hey, there's something to this. And, and so that affects how we um, respond to others because sometimes you may think, hey, I've been telling this person, I've given them every argument. They have no response to me, but yet they still won't commit to Jesus. And you think, well, they must be dumb or they must be wicked. That's not it at all because there's a lot of dumb and wicked Christians that do a lot of stupid things, right? We know that and it's us. So, so, so we get that. The fact of the matter is, is that we need God to go to work deeply in someone's heart to turn their hearts towards them because naturally our hearts are not turned towards him. And so um, what happens is that God works in different ways to move people's hearts towards him. I was visiting Carolyn Van Alst in the hospital. She had shoulder replacement. She'll be ready for spring training. Don't worry about her. Um, but she shared how she was praying for a young man who, who needs Jesus but has some major objections. And so she was directed to someone. She was praying with some folks. She was directed to some good reading materials that she's now working through to share. And so that's one of the things God uses is, is good books and good minds to help the light come on for people. Um, Josh McKay is going to share after Christmas, and, and the passage he has as we wrap up Colossians after Christmas is talks about some things, that how we can share our faith with wisdom. And those tactical issues, those ways of sharing are good, and those are things God uses to draw people to himself. But even if we don't have that, even if we have a way of messing things up, even if we're maybe not that bright to wrestle with some of the tougher issues, what we can do is pray. And the, the biggest thing God does is God goes to work in a human heart to help them turn the lights on. And so be praying for those you want to see come to know Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus here, and we know there are some of you here, we're glad you're here. And if you're seeking and you really want to know, is this true? What's the deal with this Jesus? Is he someone I can trust myself with? Is he even real? And I challenge you just, just to ask him. Just pray. Say, do a God, are you there type prayer and see what he does in your heart. If he's not there, it's not going to hurt. And if he is there, you might be surprised at what happens. But if you're praying for someone to come to know Jesus, that friend, family member, coworker, ask God to open their eyes to his great love for them and his sacrifice so that they could be reconciled to him. Prayer is powerful. And it's an ex exercise in trust because God's timing often is in our own. We want things now and he's just at work in ways we don't understand. And so we need to trust him and we need to be praying diligently that he would be at work in those hearts that we want to see changed. And, uh, Sometimes it's the case that at least as far as we know, some people don't receive him, and that's discouraging. But also we have hope knowing that some do. And we see this next in our verse, verse 12. Yet to all who received him. So many didn't, but now we see some who did. And how did they receive him? They received him through belief. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. It's an act of faith, not some kind of blind, wishful thinking, but saying, I am trusting myself to you, God. I am trusting myself to Jesus. Now, this is beautiful and good. Now, everything comes full circle from what we started talking about this morning because we, all of this believing and faith 
ends up landing us in belonging to God, in his family. The verse, uh, finish verse 12. I'll do the whole thing again. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have rights to become his children. The next verse makes it clear. This is spiritual children. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So we're looking here at being known and loved in the depths of who we are as his children. Let that settle. That's how he loves us as we love our kids. So I want to unpack this briefly because there's some stuff that's really important in here. First, he talks about the rights to become children of God. And this is big, and this might make you a bit uncomfortable at first, but stick with me. This idea of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Um, I get the idea of it, and the idea of it is, is, is fine and good, but as far as the Bible means God and Father, it's not biblical. Now, hear me out on this. Everyone, the Bible's clear on this, every person is valuable. Every person is God's image bearer. You are created in the image of God. Every person ever born is. So it's not saying that anyone is not valuable, but we also aren't born his children. We're born separated, and so we need to say, God, I want to be in your family. Um, and when he does, our relationship with him is restored. And some of you need that today. You know that my relationship with God isn't right, that I've thought of him in good general terms, but I haven't said, I want to be your kid. And if that's where you are today, we're going to talk about how you can do that in just a minute. And, and a couple passages over, just to explain what that is, a couple passages over in John 3, Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus. He's a religious leader. And he says, hey, you need to be born again. And so they go into this whole discussion what that's about. Another thing you can read in John this week. Um, but this is what Christmas time is all about. That Jesus came to dwell among us, fully man, fully God. He lived a perfect life, and then he was crucified. And it wasn't aimless suffering. It wasn't pointless. He suffered and died as a penalty for our sins. I have a recent illustration for you. This is a baseball, kind of. It's like a t-ball ball, so it's a little bit soft, but hard enough to break my window. Um, so Kale, oh, wait, wait, first. I didn't mention that name. I'm going to talk about my child, but he cannot know I did it. Got it? Are we, vow of silence. It doesn't leave this room. I need nods. I need, like, visual here. Anyone, anyone going to tell him? I'll go that way. Okay, all right, okay, we're good. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, you need to leave. <laughs> so he broke his first window right before Thanksgiving. Uh, we live in Tanglewood, and, and it's a townhome, so there's, like, he doesn't have a yard, so he's in the back patio, and there's two windows up there. His, his is on the left, sister's on the right, and he's not supposed to, but I was doing something else, so he's playing with his ball, throwing it up on the wall, bouncing it back, trying to catch it. Well, he missed, and he's got a really good arm, so he smoked it right through his window. Um, now, with that, we've got an issue. Something's broken. Our relationship with God is broken. And so with this window thing, we've got two or three options. First of all, Cale can pay for it himself, but he just went in with his sisters on some guinea pigs. He's got nothing. So, so, so he's, that's not a viable option, right? So the second option is we just leave it broken. And the way this week went, he'd probably have lost some toes or something in that. Like it was cold. And then my heating or my air conditioning bill in the summer would be awful. And so that's not really a viable option. So I had to pay. 
And that's a picture of the gospel. We broke our relationship with God. We were alienated from him. We don't have anything to pay it back ourselves. So God paid it. So he sent his son so that we could be restored. Sin requires payment. It requires judgment. Knowing that we could never satisfy what was required, God sent his son Christmas time. He died on the cross Good Friday, and then he's restoring all things Easter Sunday. When we receive this gift, what we're doing is we're trusting that Jesus paid our debt in our place. We become co-heirs. We become his kids. It isn't a default position. We don't all start there. We must respond to it. And some of you, today is your day to do that. Because um, you feel that guilt, you feel that weight, you feel that tension, and it isn't, maybe it's horizontal, it's with other people, but really you feel it with God and you're just not right with him. And today is the day where you need to say, you know what, I, I need to deal with that. Because here's what happens is that sin and that guilt and all that stuff you feel, it's transferred to Jesus on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is that Jesus took all our bad stuff and he gave us all our good stuff. And so we stand right and we stand justified and we stand as his children instead of condemned. And he took the condemnation in our place. So restoration awaits. And if that's something that you want to begin, you want to start that relationship today, you don't have that relationship, um, then you need to commit yourself to him. One of the ways you do that is through prayer. Um, The prayer's not magical. If you don't mean it, it doesn't mean anything. But if it's the cry of your heart that you want to respond, then I want to lead you in a prayer that way right now. Now, I'm going to ask everyone to, to close their eyes and bow their heads, but most of you have made this commitment. And so I want you to use just this few seconds, and there's someone on your heart you want them to pray this prayer, and I want you to pray for them um, as we're doing this. But if this is the cry of your heart, you're saying, God, I want to be one of your kids, pray with me right now. God, I um, know I'm a sinner, that I have lived life on my own and without you, and you created me to live for you. And I want to not be separated from you anymore, but to be one of your kids. And so I pray, I receive that gift of Jesus dying on the cross to pay for my sins because I know I couldn't pay for it myself. I receive that gift and I want to live for you. So I'm giving myself to you now. Amen. If that's a a prayer that you prayed, we'd love to know that afterwards to celebrate with you. Um, Or if you want to continue wrestling with that and you have more questions, we want to talk to you about that as well. Um, This is fantastic. If, if that's a decision you just made, you receive the greatest Christmas gift ever. You are a child of the King. Romans eight fourteen to 17. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's the relationship God's called us all to, to be co-heirs with Christ. And, and by the way, if, you haven't, if you're still wrestling with that decision, we have some packets that we'll have available after service. I don't know if those are back there, but the ushers will make sure they're available. That if you've got some questions, um, there's some good resources in there that might help you wrestle with some of those. So that becoming family is, is where it starts. But 
much of the reason I think Christianity in America is that we don't have the impact that we should and why it's watered down a lot is that we think the gospel's just a birth thing. And that you're born and then it's kind of, we'll see you in heaven and good job. Glad you made that decision. Um, but it's much deeper than that. Uh, we wouldn't do that with a child. We wouldn't just have a child and just, just leave them on the side. When we hear that people do that, it's awful. I mean, and, and we see that, you know, parents who, um, when they can't care for the child because they love the child, they give the child for adoption or, or give to someone who can care for it for a time for foster care. But it's rare and painful when we hear that someone just abandons a child. It's just, and so we think, if we don't do that with a physical child, why would we think God does? He doesn't. He nurtures his children. He wants us to grow up. He wants each of us to grow up in a relationship with him. And so I challenge you again, third time, I think. Uh, first service only got two. I'm not sure why. Um, but uh, read John's gospel over the next few weeks and see how he get, you get a picture of the life he wants for us. John 10, he calls us to an abundant life as he is the good shepherd. Now that's abundant life by God's standards, not ours, um, but it is abundant. John 14 and 16, he tells us about the Holy Spirit that he will give us to guide us into all truth. John 15, he calls us his friends and that he is the vine and we are the branch and he gives us our sustenance. Um, the imagery in John is just wonderful and it's the life he wants us to live as his children. So the king came at Christmas time. And he began a revolution to transform the world. And he's working one life at a time. And if you've given yourself to him, even today, you are a child of the king and his co-laborer in this world for his glory and by his power. I want to read for you 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, spiritual birth. The old is gone, the new has come. You're not who you were before. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's restoration. Our broken relationship with God has moved from not just being healed, not just restored, but now we are children. And beyond that, we are sent on a mission. You are his fellow worker, restoring goodness to a fallen world. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's compelling. And for some of us, that makes us want to do something heroic, and that's fantastic. You want to take care of the AIDS epidemic in Africa. You want to feed the world. You want world peace. Those are all great, and we should pursue those absolutely. But sometimes we get our eyes on the big prize so much that we can forget the stuff, the small details that we need to attend to on a daily basis, the hard obedience that comes day to day. Because inspi as inspiring as, as thinking of what it means to be restored to Jesus and the mission he's called us to, it has a difficult side to it as well. Because he's going to change us to look like him. That as we give ourselves to him and as we become his children, we're going to more and more take on the family resemblance. And the family resemblance in our passage today is that he is one who restores. Our relationship with God is linked to our relationship with others. Matthew 22 Verses 37 to 39, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then 1 John chapter 2, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. 
This is where it gets hard. Some of us have been restored to God, but we're unwilling to be restored to that friend or family member, sibling, parent, child, whatever. And and I'm not going to go and be foolish enough to say everyone must do this and make some blanket statement, but I will be foolish enough to tell you that our God is a restorer and, and that he's making us like him. And so there may be that relationship where he's prodding you right now, saying you need to do something to thaw the ice here. You need to do something to make that step of reconciliation. I don't know what it is. But I challenge you to take some time to listen, to pray, and ask God, God, how do you want me to be a restorer in this season? And this may seem impossible, but it's time to reimagine. Reimagining Christmas. And reimagine what the God of Christmas can do in your life as we're restored to him. And he uses us to be um, ambassadors to restore the relationships around us. So my challenge is, will you let him do that in your life today? Will you at least start that process? And it's a huge task, but we have not been left alone in this. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we have been given a tremendous example in our Savior. Um, Before the Last Supper, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and he tells them to humbly serve one another. And he does this to prepare them for how he's going to serve them um, even more so, first by washing feet, but then also by spiritually cleansing them as he dies on the cross in our place so that we could have a relationship with him and his Father. And he instituted a way for us to remember this. We call it communion. And it's an opportunity to recall the high price paid. He gave his life so that we could be restored. He paid for our sin. And so celebrating is both somber and celebratory because the cost was high, but the result is tremendous. We have been redeemed. We've been given life. And so first, it's a celebration. First thing is, it's a celebration for those who have made a commitment to Jesus. Um, so if you haven't made that commitment, it's okay, just, just let it pass, and that, that's fine. But you can also make that commitment. Uh, it was a communion service where I said, you know what, said, I, I, need to, I need to make this commitment. It's time, when I was in high school. That was where I decided I had to give my life to him. And so if that's where you are, kind of let a prayer to that end. I mean, the main thing is you're committing yourself to Jesus, and if that's where you are, by all means, take and celebrate your first communion here as his child. But also, if you're celebrating today, we're told not to take communion in an unworthy manner. And sometimes what people do in that is they say, okay, I'm bitter at Joe, and so I'm not going to take communion. Well, the point isn't that you not take communion. The point is that you deal with Joe. And so if you've got some issues, you've got some sin issue in your life, and it could be personal sin, it could be a relational issue that you need to surrender, whatever the case may be, take some time and wrestle with that. And communion is not taken because you're perfect. It's taken because of what Jesus has done. So confess it. Ask God what he wants you to do with it, and then take. And we'll celebrate that together. And so in just a few minutes, we have four tables, two in the back, two in the front. Um, We have our guys who are serving will be uh, here throughout, and um, I hope. We need a couple down here. Um, But they'll be there to serve and grab the elements, come back and sit, get them whenever you want, and then come back and sit, and we'll take them together in just a few minutes.